you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the AEC industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward taxpayer investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and I'm sitting here today with our show's producer, Iron Mike Stedman. What's up, Mike? What's going on, BJ? Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Mike's uh, Mike's usually behind the scenes making sure we, uh, we've got all our logistics figured out when we have interviews on, but today we're going to flip the tables. Uh, and I have everybody telling me that I need to talk about who I am and why we started this podcast. Uh, and I'm not really good at the soliloquy. So we got Mike, he's going to help interview me so we can uh, tease out my own story. Uh, we've been focused on some bigger guests uh, from around the industry. Uh, last week, we had Jill Jameson um, and a couple of other you know, heavy hitters. But uh, we wanted to dive in and, and really talk about why this, why this podcast was started. Um, so I'll, I'll start there just by saying that the, the idea came uh, and, and for any entrepreneur out there, the you know ideas come in planning sessions. We were in a planning session back in uh, November, December, looking at annual planning for 2022 or 2021, and we were basically brainstorming what are what are the biggest goals for the uh, for the next year. And it was unanimous that uh, we wanted to take what had started out as an email platform that we were putting out mostly with uh, my my writings on Fridays to a podcast. And uh, the group kicked it around and it happened that Mike happens to be in the same cohort that was doing his planning and he's a producer for podcasts. So um, two and two equals four. We, uh, we got this thing rolling right before Christmas. We spent the first couple of the months of the year uh, kind of tweaking it, practicing and setting up for what has now been, uh, I guess we're, we'll, by the time this hits, we'll probably be six, seven episodes into uh, into our podcast. So Mike, where where should, okay, so. No, I think you hit it perfect. I think let's talk about why this podcast. You know, and I constantly, I'm an outsider. So I'm not as familiar with the AC industry as you are, but I know how passionate you are about disrupting the industry and bringing some thought leadership to it. And so what is unique about us uh, having a platform here at MCF, MCFA to communicate value to the industry? So, okay, there's, there's so many facets to this, but let, let's start out by saying I'm a podcast listener. I am my own target audience, right? I'm, I'm not feeling like there's anybody in the industry putting out good content. All of the big corporate AE firms out there, I think they have thought leadership going on. Um, but, but nobody's caught, you know, kind of lightning in a bottle, so to speak. And I, I don't think a big behemoth is going to, I think it's going to come from, and, and whether it's me or some other, um, smaller business, smaller voice, uh, in the industry, I think that's where it's going to come from. So why, um, one, I listen to podcasts. I love, I'm, I'm a curious person constantly trying to kind of, grow my knowledge base, improve my industry knowledge, uh, identify with other other like-minded people. Two, I've had the uh, opportunity to work with 
uh, work for, serve under, be exposed to uh, a number of mentors in the industry. And I think that it's really important that their voices don't stop at at me, but that we get we give them a platform. So in some ways, I'm trying to create a platform that allows my mentors to get uh, their knowledge and their their legacy and their vision and and their thoughts on the industry out there. Um, I also, I mean, that the title "Inspiring People and Places." I think it's important to highlight that in the world that we live in right now, uh, there's a lot of media platform that's uh, selling bad news. You know, it's it's divisiveness of politics. It's uh, I think it's the bad side of humanity. And maybe I'm an overly optimistic person. Maybe I'm an overly positive person. But I just think that there's so much better news out there uh, and that we should be filling our heads with um, more inspirational stuff that's going on. And and then the last piece, I think, not it might not be the last piece. So two more pieces. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, I happen to be an entrepreneur in what I think is uh, a, the, you know, it's, it's, we call it the AEC industry. I say AEC, AEC stands for archaic, expensive, and complex or complicated. I, I do think that the industry needs to improve. Uh, and I think the only way to, to get that going is to start talking about it. it. Not to say that there's not, you know, a whole bunch of money out there. You know, we're, we're in a society obsessed with disruption. I, I'd rather call it improvement. Um, and how do we help the industry improve? The industry is full of a bunch of people. I mean, AEC, it's, it's a professional services industry. Uh, so the way we improve the industry is by improving the people. And that probably leads to the last point. I'm a growing company and I'm constantly looking for good people. Uh, so I want to get kids as early as you can define a kid uh, inspired about what the industry is and what the opportunities in this industry are. Um, we serve a, a wide variety of clients, healthcare, education, defense, um, transportation, infrastructure. Uh, we're doing a little bit of, a little bit of everything, you know, planning our inner cities and how do you make the inner cities better, but infrastructure, facilities, real estate, that, that stuff makes the world go round and construction and design and engineering of that is how you put it all together. So I think there's a lot to get excited about. And if we can, if we can kind of stoke that fire in, in our youth and then bring those youthful ideas into the industry, I think we start improving the industry. Uh, when I was with the Corps of Engineers, and, and I guess we'll get to a little bit of my story uh, and how I got here. But was not, when I was with the Corps of Engineers, there was a statistic like, this is 2010, um, maybe 2008, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. There was a statistic like 70% of the Corps of Engineers civilian um, staff was retirement eligible in the government system. So there's also a huge vacuum of, of continuity leaving. So while I want to disrupt and innovate the industry, I also want to make sure that 
we grab the continuity and the, and the understanding of the people that went before us because, um, you know, this is an industry full of, you kind of, you work your way through projects and every project has its own challenges. And every time you face a challenge, overcome a challenge and have a successful project, you've got something else that's uh, in your toolkit. So that's one of the other reasons we want to be interviewing folks that have kind of been there, done that, got the t-shirt is so that we can share those lessons learned, uh, share that knowledge base. And, and I think that so far, everybody that we've interviewed has talked about, you know, the other side of a painful experience is, is kind of the win and the lessons learned and the man, you know, there's so much camaraderie with that, with that success and that accomplishment. Um, so I think that's, that's why, and, and why now? I think it's been powerful for me on the other end as a producer to see how emotional people get being able to come on a platform like this and just have this opportunity to speak about, you know, their legacy and kind of yeah. what they want to leave behind. And I think they're grateful for you to create this platform for them and allow them to do it. I appreciate that. I, I, I have gotten that sense too. Um, and it is, it's cool. I mean, these are people that I, I really respect and I, I think that they, they have a lot to share. And, you know, the more we can tell other people's stories with this, um, you know, the better off I think, I think the industry is. And I think it goes back to why you want to do the podcast in the first place is that there's a lot of decisiveness going on in the world, a lot of polarization. And let's highlight the people that are out in the fight every day, showing up to work to create these projects and basically highlighting people you're not necessarily going to see on, you know, mainstream media and everything else, but still have value to contribute to society. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we talk about this in the, in the, uh, show intro, you know, if you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. And you know, that's probably our target audience because I do want, I want public servants to, to know that they're valued. Uh, I, I grew up in a family. My, my father was a public servant and I certainly served in the military and still do, you know, those are roles that our nation needs and they don't get a lot of love. Duke DeLuca said it on the podcast. There's not a politician on earth that doesn't want the Corps of Engineers standing be between the politician and the public on, on a public investment. Um, so they take, they take the brunt of it. I mean, you go back to Superstorm Sandy or Hurricane Katrina and, you know, FEMA and, and the Corps of Engineers as agencies are the ones taking it, in, you know, on the chin. Uh, but there's a lot of people doing a lot of good stuff in those organizations. So if we can help them, you know, stay motivated, stay excited and, and recognize that they do have a powerful platform, um, but also recognize like, hey, they, they need to understand how to take some entrepreneurial risk and how do they how do they apply a little bit more of an entrepreneurial mindset to improving public agencies? Um, I, I think we would be we would all be better as a nation and, and taxpayers served better if we if we took an entrepreneurial approach. Because the, the myth, and, and maybe we'll get into this, the myth of entrepreneurship is not about high risk, high reward. The myth of entrepreneurship is that it's about creating as much value as possible. And if we could get our public servants thinking about creating as much value as possible, the best ones out there are already doing it. 
but it's, it's, you know, there's corporate America has people hiding in corners, just like public, public agencies too, right? They're big organizations. Sometimes it's easy to get away with showing up. You might not be adding value. You might not be doing a job, but you showed up and that was enough to keep getting a paycheck. We want to change that. We want to bring a level of excitement to public service uh, because it's not just the AEC community on the private side that needs to be uh, performing. It's also the public agencies. They need good people. And we as a nation need those agencies to get good people. Uh, and you know, going back to our whole thing, improve project teams and steward taxpayer investments more effectively. We need good people on both sides of the fence uh, to make that happen. So, that, you know, we have multifaceted goals here. Uh, maybe, maybe a lot of them aspirational, but it, it starts with, you know, just getting the voice out there and, and getting the party started. <clears throat> One of the things I want to do too, is I want to shift gears a little bit, BJ, and talk about how kind of challenging it's, this is for you to kind of step outside of your comfort zone Right. You know, you're a very private person behind the scenes and step into this lens of thought leadership and tell your story and speak your truth. Um, and what has that been like for you? It, it's been so. One of my I, I guess I always grew up with a core value of humility. Um, and, and one of the things I dislike the most in today's entrepreneurial world is is the Instagram model entrepreneur that, you know, uh, overnight success. They just have to post a whole bunch of stuff on social media and I'm not against social media. I think it's an unbelievable platform for us sharing. Uh, but I I hate self-promotion. Um, I, I really, I, I just don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it, but I have realized that, you know, this podcast in particular, it's not about me. It's it's really about the idea. And if I can be one of the small voices and help other people get their voice out there, people I respect a whole lot, I think we start creating value in the in the community, in the AEC community, in the industry. Um, so I've gotten over that hump thanks to a whole bunch of practice sessions with uh, – with you. Uh, and you know, now it's, it's just about figuring out what, what does the audience want to hear and where can we drive value? Um, I've got a whole bunch of ideas. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Uh, but the more we can just get that discussion going, um, and you know, we'll see where it goes. So one thing I can tell you about podcasts is that they're definitely host driven. And one of the benefits of this kind of dialogue is very intimate and allows us to pull back the curtain a little bit. So I want to pull back the curtain for our listeners and talk about something you don't tend to talk about too much, which is your military service. And can you take us up to speed about your time in the military and transition out to, you know, eventually taking over MCFA? Yeah. Um, All right. So, where to start? I guess I guess the best way to start is um, for those who don't know. I I went to West Point, the U.S. Military Academy, uh, but I think before that, I, I grew up in a pretty patriotic family. Uh, my dad was 
a Air Force reservist and my mom was a Catholic school teacher. Um, so, you know, middle-class family grew up just outside of Philadelphia. Um, I'm second of four kids and I had the opportunity to go to West Point combination of, uh, good enough in the classroom, uh, and a little better in the swimming pool. And I got the opportunity to go there. Um, graduated in 2004 with a degree in systems engineering. I had the opportunity to go back to, to West Point after the officer basic course out at Fort Leonard, Missouri. Got to go back to West Point as an athletic intern. And during that time, athletic interns played a, a co-role. We had to play a assistant coaching position slash second lieutenant mentor to the cadets. But we also got an opportunity to, to fill a a business role, if you will, in the athletic department. And I got to uh, help out with the facility side of the athletic department as an engineer officer. So I commissioned as an engineer officer. Um, fast forward, I did operational time in Iraq uh, as a route clearance platoon leader, a route clearance company executive officer, came back, got to go to grad school and the captain's career course in a co-op program out of Missouri University of Science and Technology. Uh, and sidetrack story here. I was supposed to go back to uh, 4th Infantry Division. My my brigade commander had by name requested me to take the unit I had just come home from Iraq with to take that command over. Um, the way the needs of the Army work, his, his by name request belonged to him, and he got shifted over to the Pentagon before I came back. All of the command queues were full, and it looked like I was going to go sit on a division staff somewhere. And I really was not inspired by sitting on a division staff somewhere. So um, in, in the entrepreneurial spirit, I ended up writing every district engineer, the, the commanders of the, of the Corps of Engineers districts on the East Coast, every one of them basically pitching them on, hey, I'd, I'd love to get some real world engineering construction experience if you have an opening. Long story short, Gwen Baker was the uh, a lieutenant colonel at the time. Uh, she's now the president of CDM Smith. She should be a podcast guest, ma'am. If you're out there, we're going to get in touch with you. Um, she was the commander of the Philadelphia District. Base realignment and closure mission had just been handed off uh, to the Corps of Engineers to execute the military construction mission. I think it was $20 billion of construction across the country. Todd Seminite was our division commander. Uh, he was the North Atlantic division commander. And she said, hey, uh, General Seminite just divided up all of these military construction missions to the various districts. And I don't have a green suitor on the ground at Aberdeen Proving Ground. So right out of grad school, I'm thinking, I, I, I guess I'm probably 26 years old. Uh, I've never been on a construction project in my life, and I've become the deputy resident engineer for what ended up being a $1.2 billion military construction project or program. Uh, and I got to see all parts and pieces of a large-scale military construction program come together. Uh, General Vi, who was the two-star in charge of CECOM, became you know my best friend. He was a VIP. He was basically the owner. And it was an R&D mission that we were building for. So he was very focused on what kind of facilities did he have for his R&D community, even though he was a military officer. 
he had a big R&D staff and, you know, he's competing with the Googles of the world to uh, develop a campus that, you know, was really HR driven uh, as much as mission driven. So that was kind of my foray into the industry. While I was there, um, I got the opportunity. I actually met uh, a bunch of folks from MCFA. So I was running construction um, with as a resident engineer. I eventually became the deputy program manager. And MCFA, the founder of MCFA, Michael Furman, was um, supporting the the Fort Monmouth community on the closure and Aberdeen Proving Ground and the BRAC Transformation Office, uh, Colonel Andy Nelson. So that's where I met MCFA. Uh, I was attracted to kind of the, the culture and the spirit. You could tell that it was an entrepreneurial spirit. They were involved in a bunch of different things, including enhanced use lease, which is basically a real estate development uh, transaction between the the DOD and a private developer, a public private partnership, uh, and I thought I thought that alone was going to be the future of my career. I I always had kind of a real estate entrepreneurial developer mindset, and uh, and thought that wow MCFA is doing some some cool stuff. They offered me an opportunity right out, and it it felt too much like I was going to be a glorified captain. And I, I ended up striking out on my own in real estate development down in Baltimore. Um, I was, I was involved with an undercapitalized, uh, developer and I call it my, my six month MBA. Uh, I flipped a bunch of houses. Uh, I, I was a very successful project manager for him, but I was not a very financially successful, uh, entrepreneur with him. He, he owed too many people too much money. And uh, the profits didn't flow. About the same time, my wife got an opportunity at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, and our families were from the Philadelphia area. So I reached out to Michael, and he said, I, at, "Matter of fact, I'm uh, I'm looking for somebody to come on as business development. Would you be interested?" We started talking in in the summer of 2012. I uh, I joined MCFA. Uh, shortly thereafter, the, you know, BRAC was coming to an end, big sprint, big spending spree of BRAC at the time, you know, like I said, $20 billion, little did I know that that didn't happen every year in, uh, in the military construction world. So BRAC's ending sequestration is kicking off. So budget cuts across the board, MCFA lost like seven contracts overnight, uh, at year end. So we, I think we were at probably close to 40 employees at the time and overnight must have been cut down to less than 20. Um, to Michael Furman's credit, so overnight, those 20 employee contracts were not renewed. To Michael's credit, he uh, he didn't let anybody go right away. He, he, he worked behind the scenes to try and set up, uh, set up relationships with other industry professionals and, and other industry contacts to try and get landing spots for a lot of our employees, uh, which is, there's an entrepreneurial lesson there. Uh, we kick around, you know, was it appreciated by the employees or not? And, you know, there's, there's a lot to be debated there. Um, I love where leadership and entrepreneurship, um, or leadership and, and business decisions, um, can, can be at odds. So we could talk about that another time, but so from 20, 
you know, that's 2012, 2012 to 2014. I was uh, basically director of business development. Uh, we won a, a large opportunity out in Chicago with the GSA and kind of grew ourselves into construction management. Um, we had done project management and we had done a bunch of energy planning, energy auditing, energy consulting. And this was to be the owner's rep slash construction manager's agent for the GSA on over a hundred million dollars of energy savings performance contracts. So I was flying back and forth from Philadelphia to Chicago and Detroit for the better part of three years. Uh, very successful program for us. Uh, I continued in my role as director of business development, but kind of took on the role of uh, director of construction management and program management. And then in 2017, uh, Michael and I were at a at a uh, Society of American Military Engineers event down in Atlanta, Georgia, and we started talking about you know the future and where things were headed. And uh, after, uh, I don't know if it was too many drinks for me or too many drinks for him. We, uh, I convinced him that you know there was, I, I had some thoughts about a path forward. And uh, a couple months later, he named me managing principal of MCFA. And from that point forward, we put together a plan for me to acquire the majority ownership of the firm which I did in May or March of 2019. Uh, and that brings us to where we are now. And, you know, it, that's, that's really the, the high level touch the waves, who I am, how I got here. Um, there's a whole bunch of, you know, business lessons, engineering lessons, project management lessons in between. Uh, but I think it, it really stems from, uh, you know, 2017, when I took over as managing principal, it, it was it was never about me. And I observed the company from an entrepreneurial standpoint and recognized that like what I loved about business development is what I love about business. It's not it's not about creating opportunity for me. It's about creating opportunity for others, and it's creating value for clients. And that's really what I'm focused on is how do we as a company create value for clients? And some of that is why I push on innovation in the industry because I see some low-hanging fruit in just being more intentional, uh, being more creative. And I think that's what MCFA uh, really aspires to do. So, you know, somebody asked me, what do, you know, you're last guy in to the company. You end up taking over the company. What's that like? And I, you know, we we have to get some other people on from the company because I don't ask them this directly. Uh, I think we have a really high functioning team. I think we, you know, everybody kind of understands their their roles. And I. I joke that I'm an average project manager. I, I don't think I'm an average project manager, but in my company, I'm an average project manager. I think in the industry, I'm an A-plus exceptional project manager, but we have some exceptional people around here. I'm, I'm a much better leader. I'm a much better visionary, and I'm a much better business developer. I kind of I, I look at you know connecting the dots better and building relationships better 
but my team is excellent at delivering. Um, and that, that's, so that's what, that's what we try to do here. Um, we have a planning and strategy practice. We have a construction management, project management practice. So I always say we're, we're the front end and the back end of, of project delivery. Um, but we get to sit next to the clients and help them turn conceptual ideas and, or, you know, pain points into opportunities and then go see them actualized in the field. Um, so that's who I am. That's what I am, Mike. So we covered a lot of distance there. I mean, we're looking at a period of almost 10 years. And one of the things I want to ask you, you know, during this entire time, it's not like you're going through this alone. you got a wife, you got kids, right? And another yeah. thing, too, thinking about value creation, not just for our employees, not just for clients, but for employees as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's one thing that people don't talk a lot about entrepreneurship or the obligation we have to those who work for us, making sure they stay gainfully employed, especially in the midst of the pandemic. So yeah. what I'm getting at is in this entire landscape of 10 years from, uh, you know, you going in the military, leaving the military to taking over MCFA, what was the biggest leadership challenge you face or personal challenge? Oh, so this, this may be a cop out. I think it's, it's always the people, right? It's, it's, um, hiring and firing are very, very difficult um, things to deal with. Uh, and this is where leadership and entrepreneurship, and, and I say leadership and entrepreneurship, maybe it's public service versus private sector. Um, I considered myself an extremely people-oriented army officer. Um, I took relationships very seriously. I, I knew the names of my soldiers' kids, my soldiers' wives. Um, leadership is a people business. So no surprise that it's the people issues that are, that are our biggest challenges. But what happens in small business is you need people that are performing, you need people that are carrying their weight, and you need people that you can rely upon. And in the military, sometimes you have people that aren't carrying their weight and you can't rely upon them, but you have got Uncle Sugar paying for their salary at the end of the day. So your job as a leader is to rehabilitate them, train them, mentor them, and get them up to speed. And you have a whole bunch of options in your toolbox, right? You can rotate them into a different squad, under a different team leader, under a different platoon leader, into a different company. In a small business, it's like the entire team is relying on people to carry their weight and perform. And if you as a leader allow bad performance to go on too long and bad performance, again, in a small business might be good performance in another organization. But when you're in a small business, you know, success and failure are equally palpable, right? Like you, you, you get punched in the face together, you, you toast champagne together, um, so when everybody sees somebody that's either not quite clicking, not quite getting it, um, the entrepreneurial operating system by Gino Wickman, he talks about GWC, gets it, wants it, and the capacity to do it. So gets it, you know, are they vibing with the culture, wants it, do they have the aggressive energy? We, we talk about we're a startup every quarter, right? We're, 
we're trying to improve the the flywheel. We're trying to improve the business. We're trying to improve our delivery and our systems and our responsiveness and our customer service. Every quarter, big corporate, you know, machines are probably trying to do the same thing, but they might not feel it as palpably uh, at the individual level. At the individual level, so long story short, you know, you. <laughs> I just sent an email out last week about talent, the talent war and just in time people and trying to find, you know, the right person to get in the right seat at the right time. And oh, by the way, in the consulting industry, it's not, it's not the widget making industry where, you know, Hey, check the blocks and, and pass it on to the next person. Like everybody needs to be a thoughtful problem solver, uh, a figure it outer, you know, a Googler, uh, a, a self-teacher, a self-learner, right? Like no one client's problem is the same. We have a bunch of, you know, we always talk, we have a bunch of linebackers here um, and and they're flexible. They have to be able to, you know, play play safety and play lineman on any given day on the project team. And that's not for everybody. And when when it's not for everybody, I think we've built a culture where people want to be a part of it. But we also built a team that like is relying on every single person's contributions, and when you're not cutting it, you know you, you don't make it. Uh, and that's so. Back to your question, I think that's the the biggest pain point. Um, my my wife would probably share some other pain points. You know, balancing balancing business, trying to turn it off trying to turn business off because, you know, in, in the days of both social media, iPhone connectivity, um, and, and to your point, the obligation we have to our teams, to our companies, to our employees, uh, I'm not just putting food on the table for my family. I'm trying to make sure we have, you know, and, and this isn't an I game, but at the top, you take responsibility for everything, uh, I'm trying to make sure we have the right people in the right place so that we keep delivering to our clients. And, you know, you're, we're, we're probably past the point of, you know, just providing. Now we're trying to diversify our client base, diversify our team members and grow. Uh, and we're having success in the marketplace. Now we're trying to build a bigger team and there's going to be growth problems and there's going to be lessons learned from that. Uh, and that's where my my mind is right now is really in the future, because what happened to me, you know, at, at, in 2012 when sequestration and BRAC happened, uh, as the last guy in, and I was feeling it. I was saying, "Man, I'm the last guy in. I'm going to be the first guy out." And you know, luckily, Michael kept me around uh, and saw something in me uh, that he wanted to keep me on the team, but. I don't I do not want to be put in that position as a business leader. So I want to grow and I don't want to grow in an astronomical rate that's impossible to keep up with or is, you know, just a shot in the dark. I want to grow um aggressively but sustainably so that our junior people get exposure to more opportunities, we have more upward mobility opportunity. Uh, that people have, you know, I, I said this in the email last week. I don't know if you read that, but you know, in, in the military at, at 20 years old at West Point, everybody's plotting out your career to be the four-star general, right? Like, 
oh, you just have to do this and key developmental assignments and, you know, your job in the army was just show up and kick ass in whatever role they gave you. In small business, we're like, we're creating the growth plan as we're going. So it's like, I can't grow the top path. We need to grow the growth path. And through that growth path, right? Like we're all kind of moving up the elevator together. Um, so I, I, I will summarize that people, people, people will constantly be the leadership challenges that we, uh, that we face. And to, to summarize the, the real thing that I struggled with is how long do you give people the opportunity to, to show up and become who you need them to be in a small business world that has, does not have finite, you know, does not have infinite resources, right? We have a finite amount of time before, you know, we have to call success or failure in an investment. I think that's a good closing point for part one of this interview, because on part two, I want us to pick up and talk about culture and how you've cultivated that culture at MCFA, because you've got some very talented employees. I've had a chance to listen to many of their interviews, but going into how you built out that MCFA DNA to where it's not just something that's on paper, that's in the office, but that's something that you know, people live and breathe and use to make sure that they're delivering consistent value to the clients, making sure you're delivering consistent value to your team and really positioning MCFA as a leader in the industry. So for everyone tuning in, be sure to check us out next week. We'll pick up part two of our interview with BJ, where he's going to talk about developing culture at MCFA. Good stuff. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People in Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter if you want to learn more about the MCFA DNA. Last but not least, we're always talking about talent and MCFA is hiring If you want a company that's got a diverse portfolio of clients and a diverse portfolio of work and is looking for champions that can help us grow, come check us out. If you don't see a job description that looks up your alley, but you feel like you uh, match our core values and our culture, hit me up. Um, I, I like people who advocate for themselves. So check us out. And until next time, have a great rest of the week. Thanks so much, everybody.